So Danny, so we're sitting here and Danny has his pants off on camera and things are really uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) But his, but we can't see it, but we know. Get closer. Danny, get closer to the camera. Did you hear that thud? That's when my pants were off. (laughs) What's that really heavy belt buckle that all you people from Florida wear? No, no, no. Skin doesn't, skin doesn't make us. That the belt buckle and skin make a different sound when they just hit the floor. Bro. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> you might want to get that checked out. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, there <laughs> was one time I was working in a jail, and I used to work in a jail, and this guy all night long for twelve hours kept saying, screaming at the top of his lungs. F you, I'm Donovan for like 12 straight hours. F you, I'm Donovan. Like screaming at the top <laughs> of his lungs. And then he's, he was very threatening. Uh, and then he was just there for detox. And then he woke up in the morning. And the first thing he said to me was like, Palmer, I'm so happy to see you. <laughs> <laughs> there for detox. Like he was in the drunk tank. Just like alcohol PC. Yeah, just drunk tank. Yep. And he's just like, he's like, Palmer, I'm so happy to see you. And then he's like, you ever heard of this band Sex Chocolate? (laughs) Had you? (laughs) No, no, I don't know. (laughs) Did you look them up? (laughs) No, I wasn't going to search that on my work computer. You get fired, dude. Oh, I'm still looking that up. (laughs) Uh, speaking of looking up uh, check this out check out the segue speaking of looking up today we have a very talented guest by the name of brian morris whom we all look up to very much uh we hit it off with brian uh ways back now in twitter spaces uh, and then we come up with this idea to have a podcast uh here we are but brian was on top of that list of people that we really wanted to have on the podcast. Brian is a crazy good artist. We'll link all of his work so you guys can go check it out. And I will stop talking so we can jump into this with Brian. I don't want to waste any more time. So, Brian, we're really happy to have you here today with us, man. And you know that the three of us are really big fans of your art and a lot of the stuff that you you have going on in, in the Web3 domain and all that kind of stuff. I think the first question I really wanted to ask you is what what do you feel like your main like inspiration is for not just like your art that you're doing right now, but kind of like the passion for art that you have in general? Hmm. I haven't thought about this one in a minute. If I go back to like, uh, I've been thinking a lot about like some of my earliest drawings. My dad just sent me a bunch of uh, drawings from when I was like six and seven uh, to get them out of his basement. And I was kind of looking at them. Yeah, it blew my fucking mind, dude, really. Literally like, you know, the first drawings that, you know, I made. And they're of hot rods um, and monster trucks and stuff. And I remember drawing those things with him as a kid. And he would explain to me like, well, this is how the suspension works on this. And like, if you're drawing a Model A, it's a little different than a Model T in this way. He was explaining components of the car. He was a big car guy. Um, And that's what he knew. He didn't know how to draw, but he knew about cars. And so I honestly, like the, the more that I kind of look at those drawings and just hearing the question now, I think a lot of it comes from that, like. I was kind of learning about something new with somebody uh, I, I truly loved and looked up to. 
and um, I was introduced to an ability I didn't know I had at, at that point, which was drawing. And if I look at the stuff that I draw today um, and think about that a little bit, um, you know, 99% of the time I'm drawing something to better understand it, um, almost as if it's a study. And so I think the answer to that question is like, I, I kind of draw and my art is motivated by the, the, the want to understand something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes so much sense when you look at like, <clears throat> even if you just look at that, one of these later posts on your, on your Twitter, or maybe it's just this pinned one, but it's like, there's a skull, but the skull's transparent. And then inside the skull, there's some nerves, right? Or there's the brain or there's a, you know, and man, that is, that's that the, now that you've explained that to me, that makes so much sense as to why, like your artwork is so unique and it looks, I, I'm a huge, well, when I think the first exposure that I had, I, that I, and probably the rest of us that we had to your artwork was the death bat. Right. Mm, mm. And that was the first time I'd, and oh my gosh, dude, that thing was, that thing was unreal. That thing had some clout. Everybody's excited about that. <laughs> I really enjoyed doing that one. Yeah. Did, so did you make that for sin? What's the story behind that, that death bat? Um, so I'd been familiar with the death bats. Um, I think right around, right after they launched um and you know i've listened to Avenged sevenfold you know my entire life like you know i've always kind of been um in the mix and so i was kind of interested in the project but i didn't really dive in and then yeah i think uh once i eventually you know had a couple ETH to rub together and i could buy a death pat um it was cool just to see you know what the community was and what like a web3 enabled kind of group of fans look like around a band that I knew and, and enjoyed. And I was like, wait, I saw, I think it was Dylan was doing the neon bats in the discord. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. I yeah. saw a few of those and I was like, Oh, cool. People are like making art around these things. Um, and I was like, fuck it. Yeah. I'm just gonna, I'm going to draw my bat. Um, Cause I'd picked a pretty classy clean one. Um, it's just a skull with, you know, big bulging veiny eyes. Uh, just super clean in every way um and just made for a great platform for that guy man i gotta say when you were explaining how you like sat down with your dad and we're we're working on those drawings i don't know what about that i was just getting chills it was so wholesome like mm. i just had to say <laughs> that it's not a question it's i mean from my seat too i kind of get chills thinking about it because I went decades not really appreciating my dad very much um, in that, you know, he was like, now we're getting off the rails here, but like, he was like a lot of dads, right? Like after a couple of years of marriage to my mom, he decided something else was more interesting um, and kind of left her and us to, to fend for ourselves. And I never, I still haven't forgiven him for that kind of shit. He did instill a, you know, he did instill some values in me, which I appreciate, but like it wasn't until very recently that I, truly began to understand the impact he had on my life if i look past the the situations he put my family in if i look past that still had a positive impact on my life and so trying to find um you know the truth in that as well as the truth in the some of some of the things that weren't so amazing so yeah it, it is chill inducing Sorry, went down the rail, uh, down the hole there. But you know what I'm saying? Oh no, that's fine. Like that, and and that that kind of struck with me because I I kind of had the same the same deal with my dad. Like he was he was around until he wasn't, and found something else. And 
you know, it's a, it's a delicate balance of like, as an adult looking back on, you know, what were the good things? And that's some of the things, you know, Tim's a therapist. I've been to therapy. It's like, just because something didn't end well, doesn't mean you can't get good memories out of it. And you have to be able to differentiate between the two. Like it's not all bad or all good. You know, you can, it's, it's okay to find positives and stuff like that. So as much of a balancing act as that is, um, <clears throat> you know, it's good that you can look back and, you know, with, with the drawings and, you know, kind of look back and find some positive in it, even though there was some negative that kind of needs to be overshadowed. That's, you know, and I'm sure uh, that'll resonate with a lot of people. Yeah. I think, you know, a lot of times the blessing in something like that is that your dad was, uh, was an example, right. Of like the type of person you're supposed to be and the type of person that you're not supposed to be. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, it's really interesting when we look back on situations like that, because, you know, maybe at times we do have like guilty memories about if we feel, or we do have a little bit of guilt. if We feel good about some of the memories that we had with them. And it becomes so complicated and like into such a big mess. But like, man, that I, this is the type of insight that I really like because it, it like it shows us that, you know, that your foundation probably isn't weak. And when and when you're doing your artwork and you're doing the, this stuff mm -hmm. like this, like it's it's like uh, this is the kind of conversation that we all really like to have. And so yeah. I don't think it, I don't think you went off the rails. I think you I think you went on. <laughs> I just think you went on the rails. That's uh, you went directly to the core, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was fast trained to the truth, you know. That's mm -hmm. what's fascinating to me because. I look at your artwork and I think what inspires someone to create something like this? That's really badass to me. And I would say too, as a child, I don't even know my real dad, but that empty space created an opening for another mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. And that's the person I call my dad now. And had that not happened to me, I can imagine what my life would be like, because he's one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me, you know? So that's kind of how I look at some of those situations mm -hmm. is I guess every time a door closes, another one opens type of thing. And Mm -hmm. I'm glad you shared that, man. I, I, I think it's the most important thing. And I say that because just in relation to art, I think the job of an artist is to, hmm, how do I articulate this? Yes, you make things, but your real job as an artist is to create enough openness in yourself to be available for art to happen, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. and, oh, perfect sense. And I think that openness means that there has to be um, absence of something, right? Sometimes you can control that absence. You can create that absence yourself to make the space to make art. And then sometimes that space is created for you by an action not under your control. And suddenly you're left with a gap in your life that needs to get filled with something. And sometimes the thing that shows up in that gap is alcohol. Sometimes that thing is another person. Sometimes that thing is art. Sometimes that thing is, you know, it could be anything. Something's going to fill that void for that person, whether they like it or not. The universe mm -hmm. is going to make that shit happen. You know, whatever it is, there's a the vacuum, it's filled. It's the law of everything, really. And so um, as much as you can kind of guide your intentions around that empty space, um, you know, magic happens. And I think that's that's where my art comes from. And perhaps one of the reasons why I continue to draw even after you know, there are a lot of things that happen in life and I don't want to make a boohoo story about my dad didn't love me. Um, you know, I still talked to him and all that great shit, but like, you know, perhaps because something like that happened to me in an early age, there, there was a vacuum that art just filled. And, and that's why I continue to do it to this day. 
and acknowledging that now and maybe being mature enough to have learned the lessons of life a few times um, and appreciating that space that art can happen inside of. That's I think that's what's really the last three years specifically completely changed the work that I make in every dimension because I just created more space for it to happen. For sure. You, you use the word like control and that, you know, with my dad not being around, my grandfather was kind of the male role model in my life for a while. He passed away back in like 2002, 2003 time. Um, but he said something like when I was a kid that I never really quite understood. Um, it was, the only thing in life that you have control over is how you react to the things that you don't have control over. Now, I, I've, I, I, without getting too deep into the last little while for me, I never really understood what that meant until we got wrecked by a hurricane and you lose your house and everything in it. And you really just, the only thing you can do, like it got to the point where, you know, you're dealing with insurance companies, you're dealing with this, you're dealing with that. You, you have no control. So you can like being mad about stuff that you can't control is like, it's not helping you out that it took something like that for me to understand that. So, and I think everybody in this conversation has kind of the same maybe outlook for it. Like whatever wasn't there from like a, a father figure perspective, maybe that's why we all enjoy trying to bring joy to as many people. Like with you, it's through art or with me and uh, Andy and Tim, it's through, you know, good conversation and, you know, this, these are things that we can control that we can put out to other people. So, um, you know, taking the void that was left by one person and trying to help people, you know, fill voids in their lives is a, is a, is a positive outlook and something that we can, you know, have a little bit of control over. Yeah, man. I think so. Like all these challenges life throws at you, this is kind of a hippie thought, but like, um, (laughs) they're almost like, the sand, like a very fine sand that polishes a lens, right? Like all this fucking, all the shit you go through is just mm-hmm. like wears you down a little bit, polishes that lens so that it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. At least that, that's how I think about it is like, you know, what I broke my leg years ago skateboarding and, um, or ice skating. I'm sorry. I broke my leg skateboarding, but I also broke my leg ice skating. When I broke my leg ice skating, um, I was laid up for like three and a half months on the couch and like this is a point in my career where i was working like Yikes. 80 hours a week and like you know i was full grind mode like on the plane all the time like just full grind you know corporate grind mode and the idea of taking three months off was never something that would have occurred to me and you know never would have even crossed my mind but breaking my leg and being right. laid up on the couch not fucking able to do anything while at the time was the most horrible thing that ever happened to me um, by the end of the three months, it was the most amazing thing that ever happened to me because I was able to take a step back and reflect. And, you know, I didn't have any kind of like fucking crazy ego death or anything like that at that time. But like in hindsight, that was an event that made my mirror or made my glass a little clearer because I, you know, it was a traumatic thing that made me work through some stuff I wasn't making time to work through. So you kind of went through, I guess, some early things that happened that influence your art. Do you ever experience like artistic, I guess, writer's block? And if so, like, what do you do to kind of go out and try to find a little bit of influence? This sounds so cliche, but um, I'll explain how it works after the the short pithy statement. Like the the clickbait thing is to say, you just, you just work through it. You just keep working through it, Um, which sounds so like, okay, but I don't know what to make. So like, how do I work through it? The trick I use to do that is I try to keep two to three, sometimes five or six projects going. 
or pieces of art that are in different stages of development. And so like if, if my mindset for the day or sometimes week is like, I want to generate new ideas. Like just, I have all these things I got to get out of my head. I'll focus on projects that require that type of engagement from me, the type of space that's, you know, the thing that's occupying my artistic space that I've set up for myself. We just talked about if there's, new things happening in there, I take advantage of it. Sometimes there's not new things happening in there. It's almost like a quiet zone where it's like a, just a, like, no, we don't have time for turbulence. We can't handle it for whatever reason. Well, I have projects that require me to just grind on like, you know, I can't tell you about one right in a second. Like it's top secret shit, but like, I might just be drawing a bunch of traits. Like I'm just going to sit down and draw a bunch of hats like for three days no thinking just doing and by the time i get through something like that then i'm like okay i've got all this pent up new ideas again so that space we talked about like my job is creating in my head is that kind of clarity space i just you just got to act on what's happening in that space and you can try to control it it may not but you can't and what you need to have happen in that space sometimes doesn't on the schedule that your clients would like <laughs> but i mean what are you going to do right that makes me think too, like from our previous conversations and correct me if I'm wrong, but you went into this into more of a full-time capacity recently, somewhat recently. Yeah. Was it hard to make a transition like where you used to set time aside and you kind of knew what worked best for you in your headspace and stuff as opposed to like, okay, now I'm doing this all the time. Was it kind of hard making that transition? Let me talk to the transition because I think it's the, the um, I think is the most important aspect of that. There's so many aspects to that question in my head, at least having gone through it recently. So yeah, I went um, just for context for folks that weren't part of that previous conversation. Um, you know, I went from being a, a executive creative director to at a big four consulting firm doing projects for like Pfizer and Google and all these big companies. I went from doing that, like, you know, not exaggerating 60 to 80 hours a week. It was just like a grind. Wow. You know, and drawing on the side, like I draw during, just like we're talking here, I'm drawing, right? Like I, I draw during meetings. I, I was always coming out of these hands, whether I liked it or not, whether I made time for it or not, I was going to draw. And so drawing was kind of like a hobby almost, almost like a, not a nervous habit, but like it was just something I did. And, you know, sold a couple NFTs here and there, began to make some friends and have experiences in the Web3 community um, while doing all the, the consulting work. And I kind of... I've talked about this before in different channels, but like I hit a wall with the, with what I was doing in consulting where I was just so burnt out and so um, riddled with doubt about, I'd kind of reached the, the top of where I ever imagined possible in my career from a creative standpoint. Like I was doing all this crazy big stuff and I wasn't happy. I was always frustrated and riddled with anxiety and I was always solving other people's problems mm -hmm. for the benefit of other people to make a lot of money. So basically I was a gear in some giant money-making thing and I was really good at my job and I knew how to make other girls turn, you know, I was up here turning. So all these other gears would turn right? like and knew how to drive that. But yeah, once I kind of hit that wall of like, why am I solving this problem for these people to make all this other money? And I'm the one that's getting literally worn out. My gear is getting worn out in the process. I don't want to do that anymore. It's almost like all the lubricant in that machine, like just got, it's almost like somebody pulled the oil pan out of the motor. Like it just went, not done toast. 
And in that vacuum, here came art. And that big space in my life, that 80 hours a week, and the frustration and anxiety that went with that was now gone. Like I quit, I just quit the job. I closed the laptop, quit the job. No notice, no nothing. Just, you know, up on the corporate ladder, just let the fuck go. Because um, I, mm-hmm. I, I figured, you know, I've gone this far in my career. I can find something else. I just got focused on getting back to me again. I have this open, I want an open space. And yeah, that's where art began to happen. And I started to not fill that space, but protect the shit out of it. Like I literally put a barrier around it. I would get job opportunities, interview opportunities, people I knew that knew I just left. I'm like, no, like I can't, I'm not, I'm no, I'm not going, I don't want to fill this yet. Mm-hmm. And so I spent a couple of years just drawing and, and letting things happen in that creative space. And that's, that's where the art is now. I imagine that had to have taken a ton of courage. Just for me, I'm thinking if I were to make that kind of a change in my life, the amount of courage it would take to like get your head in a space where you're like, you know what? I am done. To me, that's a little bit of a wild thought. Maybe it was easy for you, but I can't imagine doing that. That would be tough. I don't feel like I had a choice. Like, I don't feel like I had a choice at all. Because the alternative of staying in that machine, and I hate to say it like that. That sounds like I got some kind of chip on my shoulder, and I don't. Like, it's great for a lot of people. No, it doesn't. Not at all. It served me well for like, you know, 25 years. I love the industry. Who knows? I still do some work in it. But like, I didn't have a choice. The alternative was I was going to die. I was going to have a heart attack or I was going to fucking shoot myself. Like one of those two things was going to happen in the next five years. Guaranteed. Right. And so if I'm already looking at a death sentence, like how do I want to spend my time between then and now and then, you know, whether it's naturally occurring or whatever, and it's, it's not grinding myself out for a buck that somebody else is pocketing. Mm-hmm. I think you get a different understanding of the value exchange, right? Like the other, the other aspect of it was I was always telling myself like, well, I'm making good money in this job though. Like in the, you know, in the corporate world, like I have security, I got a little bank account. Like if, if one of the cars breaks down, I can fix it. No problem. I didn't have to worry about mm-hmm. that resource, but then, you know, you kind of look at the imbalance of everything else in relation to that, you know, I'm, I'm trading that security for insecurity in other areas of my life. And once you kind of grab onto those things, um, whether they're, you know, your choice or not to have that open space, like then you start to look at all the stuff around you and go like, do I really need like another pair of Nikes? I already have four <laughs> black hoodies. Do I need another black hoodie? Yeah. You just, Like maybe I don't need to make as much as I used to because I don't want the stuff I used to want. It's not as important as it used to be. Since you've made that transition, what, what really excites you about your, your trajectory, I guess is probably the best way to put it. Well, much of the same things that attracted me to the consulting work and design work I was doing before where every day was different, right? Like some days I spend more time connecting people than I do drawing, right? Like somebody will hit up, hit me up about this, or I'll be in a conversation with somebody that needs a developer on this, or this community is interested in doing X, Y, or Z, and they need a list of artists. Sometimes I just spend time all day doing that, which makes me feel good because I'm connecting people. And then other days I can go kind of in isolation and draw for 20 hours straight if I want to. That flexibility is what I'm most excited about is I can, I can put my energy where my, my kind of passion is. From a trajectory standpoint, I feel like that's a good place to be in. As long as we can keep the wheels mm-hmm. on the bus and, and you know, the kids fed, mm-hmm. that's the best place to be in because I'm not as dependent on other people or circumstances, right? Like I'm, I'm kind of making opportunities for myself and other people. What you're telling me is you're a really good, you're a really good guy to know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Like I, 
but I, I don't know, like, especially in web three, you guys see it. Like there's a lot of, I'm not going to name names and because I think we all see it. Like there's just a lot of disingenuous actors. Mm. Um, I hate to say it, you know, folks, whether they're influencers mm-hmm. or um, curators or they run a marketplace or whatever the fuck they do, you know, they say they're there to help the community and, and elevate artists and, you know, connect X, Y, and Z. Really what they do is they're collecting advertising dollars or they're, you know, wash trading or they're pumping bags. And so, you know, I'm trying to kind of do the opposite approach of quietly behind the scenes, helping things happen, creating opportunities for myself and other people that maybe you don't celebrate until it's done, or maybe you don't ever tell people you're behind it at all. Cause that's not the important part. The important part was moving things forward. You know, maybe that's, I'm, again, not trying to sound righteous, but I just feel like that's a more authentic approach to this. Well, I feel like a lot of times your artwork speaks for itself too. You know what I mean? Your artwork, just like if you didn't even know it, if you didn't know it was you, your artwork still might help move the space forward in like a more uh, organic way versus people coming out here and pumping out these projects. That and, and this is the big battle, right? This is the big battle I think that Web three has going on because like there's people that aren't involved in Web three and never and, and don't ever want to be involved projects like this because they do think that it's just a money grab type of a deal and it's just like why would i spend this money this much money on jpeg and all you know and all this kind of stuff and so i mean it must be difficult for you to see stuff like that because it kind of really in a lot of ways it really does move the space backwards and you're one of the people that's trying to push it forward yeah well i think a lot of people are trying to push it forward for sure but there's a lot of people like trying to extract value out of it as it moves it's really those cycles and like Mm -hmm. It's an unfortunate, I guess it's a fortunate consequence that a byproduct of innovation in this space is value creation for people, right? Like if a, if a new technology or a new methodology around, like look at what Manifold did, you know, Manifold found a way to basically clone their contract so that it's easy for artists or creators to mint things on their own contract. They expedited that. They, they made that really efficient for creators. And that's awesome. Byproduct of that innovation is pretty much anybody can launch an NFT project, you know, moment's notice. So people exploit that new innovation of and speed to market to extract value from it. Where instead of using that innovation to, you know, be accretive to the space and I'm not saying people need to do open editions and free mints or shit, but like there's just a so I hate to use the term cash grab, uh, especially around art, because I never think art is a cash grab at all. But realistically, there's some people out there that are just pumping the community for money uh, at every opportune time. And that's it's just a byproduct of, of the space moving so quickly and there being value created in the process. And I think that's part of kind of what the future of the space has to be, right? A lot of those cash grabby, like random, you know, 10,000 PFP projects and things come from people that you don't know who they are. You don't know where they are. You don't know why they are. And I think the future of the space has to be a little bit more of the, hey, we're sitting down. This is Brian Morris. This is what Brian Morris does. He works on cars in his spare time. Like, I would rather, if I'm going to buy an NFT, buy it from a Brian Morris than a anonymous guy project that's not doxxed and like i don't know where my money's going well but see i think that's an investment mindset right like you have you're kind of put you're backing your values you're literally putting your money where your mouth is right like wherever your values Mm -hmm. lie you're kind of investing in that i think a lot of folks you know are using the space more as like a, a a gambling pool of my value is to make money. I don't care on whom or how or how, you know, mm. as long as it do, doesn't take more than 42 hours, 48 hours, 
And if I have to participate in any way, like I'm fucking out, like just, mm. you know, put my stuff in. I want my more, more money out. So there's def- definitely two different mindsets. But yeah. I'm with you. I wish everybody thought your way. What's your opinion on like, since we're on the topic of web three and art, do you feel like there was a bit of a, a, a art renaissance that was brought forth by web three and artists being able to like, you know, use that medium to sell again? I think so. And I say that like literally feeling like we were sitting in it for most of 2021 was really the, I feel like where it was, the magic was 2022 to a certain extent. And it, it felt like that, like in Clubhouse and some of the smaller little text chat groups that were forming in the space from like an artist perspective, like we would get, there'd be rooms where we'd hop on Clubhouse and there'd just be like four or five of some of the you know best lowbrow artists you've ever seen. We're just sitting there drawing together and learning from one another as like, oh, so-and-so just minted their first piece or, hey, I learned how to do additions on OpenSea. You know, for a while there, you actually had to like hack the fucking URL. You had to like put special characters in the OpenSea URL in order to make an addition on the site. Like, so like sharing all these little tips with one another and sharing art as it was being made. I mean, everybody's just game just went boom. There was all of a sudden validation for this things, things that they'd been drawing for the, the gram, you know, to get hearts on, and likes on mm-hmm. Instagram. All of a sudden, now you could make thousands of dollars for the same image that you did because you loved. And so, yeah, I think it definitely was an art renaissance. It pulled people out of the woodwork. Um, and those that were already interested in it just, just felt this wave of momentum behind them. Well, and that's one of the parts of Web3 that I like a lot. I mean, I like a lot of the moving parts of the Web3 community, but that's one of the things I really liked because it took a lot of people that are so incredibly talented and actually gave them something for their art instead of just Instagram viewers or followers or people, you know, using their platform. So that was really exciting to me, but I find that all to be super fascinating because I wasn't in those text conversations and clubhouse and stuff. I wasn't, I wasn't that early. So yeah, that's part, that's one of the big parts I like people that are really talented are actually getting something for their work yeah and i love that no matter what happens in the way like like let's say brian creates a one-of-one for somebody and that person you know loves it um but something wild happens and they have to you know they'll end up having to sell it to somebody else brian's always getting a percentage of whatever secondhand sales happen you know and the person that buys it is still you know let's say that versus a painting that they're going to hang on the wall in their house you know if it's five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars they're still spending the same amount but that just ensures some of that always goes back to the original artist which i think is just an amazing an amazing thing to do for sure Luckily, OpenSea made their some of the right choices. In I'm, my opinion, I'm never, I'm never getting rid of my Brian Morris slash Dylan seven 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 neon Revbet. That sucker oh, staying with me forever. I was gonna say when you were explaining that, I was like, um, sounds awful familiar. <laughs> well, you know, that's just a, that's just an example to use though. Like, I, I think it's great that it's always gonna go back. Like, a, or you know, take like a Cam Rackham who's got you know, art floating around ever. I saw something of his that somebody in the UK is trying to sell for 15 grand and he's not going to see a penny of that, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great innovation, right? Yeah. That royalties for artists is an amazing innovation here. Yeah. Love it. That's wild. In my brain, it's like, why does that have to be an innovation? That should just be a standard, but I guess Mm -hmm. I'm glad it happened now. 
as opposed yeah. to not, at least. <laughs> I don't know. That is so true. Yeah. I mean, you would think that this you would think that, that would be a thing before now, but I mean, that's a that's a huge deal, I think. That's super cool. Yeah. Let's hope it sticks around. Hundred <laughs> percent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There were some questions a little yeah, that's yeah. I mean, and I, my thing too is that I don't know. I, I feel like in, in you, you probably have more insight into this than I do, Brian, but let's say that that goes away tomorrow. Do you think artists would sort of create their own thing and like flock to it that would have a structure that was like that? Yeah, I don't, I think, yeah, I think there'd be specific marketplaces and forums that would open up that were very, very much branded and, and, you know, value driven around supporting artists. Yeah. I think, it, I think it would pop up pretty quick. The funny part about that is that humans have been doing art since we like since our since we did cave paintings, and then now we finally figured out in the 2020s or the you know the, in the 2000s, anyways, to uh, uh, figure out a way to make sure that that IP, that intellectual property, is always rewarding the person that created it. I'm just saying that like if there was a cave back then, then they should have like given them a a a, a, a elk <laughs> skin when they killed them. You know what I mean? When somebody looked at it every time. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I don't think it's just artists, though, right? Like, to that same point, like that, hmm, how do I say this? Whether it's a piece of art or a piece of innovation, the idea of there being a model that its originators can continue to derive value from, that thought or manifesting that thing is re- like, that's the model that like software development's based on, right? Like, where, whether it's Apple or, you know, with iTunes or, or Microsoft with Office Suite or what have you. Like they kind of started the thing and even though other people built on top of it, they take a little piece of the revenue every time somebody builds on top of it. Like that's how they continue to, you know, whether they make anything else ever or not, they will continue to, to be able to, to have passive kind of income because of the, the, the infrastructure and groundwork that they, they made possible as much as that's a viable concept. Translating that to art is, I think, you know, I'm talking in circles now, but like, I think that's, it's the same thing. Like you birth this thing. If there's value to derive from it in the future, people build on top of it or, or sell it at profit or whatever. You continue to be able to get a little passive income from that. Like it's it's what all other businesses are kind of built. A lot so many businesses are built around. So it really isn't an innovation. It's just more of like a finally, um, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like it that 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 structure takes some of the pressure off of having to produce things at a faster rate no i don't think so because at least the way the market works today for artists in particular for 90 percent of artists there's very little to no secondary sales like just fact of the matter right like you know you're, you're happy to get that primary sale and it's in somebody's wallet that's job number one job number two is creating you know a secondary demand for your work which is really out of your control um, you can you can put some things out there that incentivize people to sell and incentivize people to to buy something a second or third time, but it's really up to the market whether or not that's going to happen. So you can't control it. You can make intentions for it, but you can't control it. Um, and the market really does favor the new next thing. Oftentimes, they favor the the newness of the thing rather than the thing itself. And so that you know that speculation aspect of it. And so I, I, I don't know that at least the way the market works today, that you, you could just sit back and say, I don't have to make anything new, at least the way it works now. Right. As an artist, you always have mm. to have a product in market. That makes a lot of sense. Like even I'm worried, like I haven't dropped 
I haven't like put anything for sale for like a month since I put something out there that people could buy. And, and I like, I feel like, holy shit, I'm, am I even relevant anymore? Like, if, <laughs> am I even participating <laughs> in the market? You know, meanwhile, I've gifted stuff. Like I've, I've made tons of stuff for my collectors and done a bunch of programs and stuff, which are great. But like, I haven't put, I haven't put a product in the market people can buy. So I feel less relevant because of it. I think you're relevant, bro. we we love you (laughs) we love you we love you just so you know i appreciate it i want you to maybe just because we have you and Mm. you're a great mind but i want you to put something in perspective for me Mm. the whole ai movement with Mm. with art well i guess everywhere now right we're starting to see the chat gpt and all this different AI come out and it's really moving at an exponential rate. I don't know, man. There's certain parts of it that scare me and there's certain parts of it that are really cool. But what's, because I imagine as an artist, you almost feel like, you know what I mean? You're like, they're stealing some of your thunder, but I don't know, man. What's your, what's your general feeling on it? I have so many feelings on it. How do I even start? Just for background, like for those that don't know me or haven't heard what my job was before, like you know, I was doing big, large tech implementations for companies and I was like the experience lead, right? And one of the things I recently had delivered was a big artificial intelligence and machine learning implementation for a huge pharmaceutical company, right? And I've been doing that kind of stuff for years. So like artificial intelligence and machine learning more specifically has always been like something I've not dabbled in, but like had to sell or implement. And so I kind of understood some of the powers of it. And then when tools like um, Midjourney began to emerge and some of the even more rudimentary rudimentary stuff a few years ago, there's a web-based tool called Runway. They're a big company now, but back then they had like this little subscription service. And so like I was using these tools, just playing with them a couple of years ago. I was really curious about what they could create, um, but really saw them as tools, you know, just because of my tech background. I, I've always kind of thought of them in that way. Like, how do you use this tool to get a an outcome faster, more efficiently, and more accurately than before. And so I guess that's kind of how I still use them today is like I use chat GPT to write emails or if I'm putting together a proposal, I'll use it a lot. I've even used it to craft like Twitter threads and shit. Like, um, so how do I get my outcome that I want faster and and make up for my own deficiencies? Um, Like I'm a horrible writer. I just am. So it can help me with that. Great. So yeah, I think of them as tools. The, the visuals, and I try to use them in my every day. And I think we all do, right? Like, you know, your, your fucking email mm-hmm. um, kind of prioritizes messages for you. You know, your social media is all driven by algorithms that are, you know, enforced mm-hmm. by, influenced by artificial intelligence. So, like, it's already part of your day-to-day, whether you know or not. It's influencing you. So why not take control of those tools um, in, in your day-to-day? That's an interesting thought. I like that. I mean, they're being used against you. So... <laughs> Yeah, you right. <laughs> it it does drive everything. It does. Yeah. You know, it's not like we're going to wake up one day and there's going to be a big CNN headline that says, well, machines took over. <laughs> it's not going to be like that. It's going to be like, wait a minute. what? Remember when I used to like decide what I wanted from the grocery store? I haven't, I haven't really sat back and thought about what I wanted from the grocery store because it just kind of shows up now. <laughs> and I'm charged yeah. for it. <laughs> When did that really happen? <laughs> it's so convenient. Like yeah. that's what's gonna fucking happen is is like that level of like, huh? I think mm. if the machines are smart about it, that's how I do it. 
Yeah. All I know is I've written like hundreds of pages of paper. When I wrote my, when I did my master's degree, I wrote like hundreds of pages of papers on theory and stuff like that. And now I know that you now now I know that you can just do it all by AI. I'm really sort of pissed off about it. Well, so as an artist that does chat my ass like big time, well, like today, even on LinkedIn this morning, um, I shared an article about the three artists that are suing Stable Diffusion, right? There's a big class action lawsuit. These three artists are going after Stable Diffusion because Stable Diffusion is using a data set that was originally set aside for educational and research purposes, but they've since mm-hmm. monetized and, you know, it's got all these artists art in it. And so part of me is like, yes, we, we have to stop the non-consensual use of artists work in these data sets like full stop must mm-hmm. it's it's a can't emphasize that enough but on the flip side of that is these tools are extremely powerful powerful and you're not putting this genie back in the bottle you might be able to throttle how much comes out but like you can't put it back in the bottle at all ever again it's too powerful it's like i i literally think it was like as much as there were humans that used fire and those that didn't use fire the ones that used fire did a lot better than those that didn't. These guys probably died out. Artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. I think, is the same magnitude of impact here, where it's like there's going to be people that use artificial intelligence. There's going to be people that don't. And it's not going to happen over a generation. It's not going to happen over four or five. But the folks that un- understand how to embrace the wealth and extent of all human knowledge in a way that's accessible and usable are going to far outpower those that don't. It's just what was going to happen so yeah i don't know i'm talking in circles again but like no not at all real quick though from an art standpoint like i love to use it in my art but you'll never know it's even in there because the results of that ai art like i don't use like i use i've played with so many different ways now and experimented so many different methods of working in my workflow like i use it to generate ideas now Mm -hmm. like if i wake up and i'm like Mm. oh my god like you know if, if I know I'm going to sit down and sketch some new stuff, I'll sometimes use that to like sketch for an hour while I'm still laying in bed. And I just get to see like 47, you know, thousand different versions of this thing. And then when I sit down to draw, like, okay, I may, I may not even look at them, but like, I just got some compositions in my head. I got a starting point. I'm not staring at a blank page and I may never use the sketch, but like, at least I got to generate a bunch of ideas faster and get to what, feels right to me easier that's a really brilliant way to do that i think i mean like the idea is is that like you were saying everybody that's creative thinks that it's working against them and i think that that's a i think that you're like putting a motorboat on a rowboat when you do something like that you know yeah it's like how can you use these tools and just like email or your laptop your ipad these are tools that help you do things you couldn't do before right or faster or better. Right. And so this is, yeah, how do you see more faster? And a lot of the conversations that I've had with people about the AI art thing is, you know, it it's going to it's going to take away from the artist, it's going to do this, it's, you know, negative 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 negative. I mean, it's cool to look at. I, I don't know if y'all have seen like a lot of the things that people are coming out with like a lot of Discord communities for a while even created channels where you could just plug something in and it would come up with something. I kind of Think about it in the same vein that you would think about like a diamond versus a cubic zirconia, right? Like the cubic zirconia is a lab created diamond and it's it's perfect. What makes diamonds more valuable, or, or so they say anyway, is the imperfections in it, right? I can see AI art and go, that's amazing, but it might be too amazing for a human to have come up with. 
because you look for the thing like that's what that's what makes humans unique. Like everybody's different because we have all these imperfections that that happen, whether it's, you know, in art or just in, you know, life in general. So it was it was a wave like you don't even really see people. It was all over Twitter for a month, a month and a half. And it's already died back down. So it's, you know, it was a new shiny thing for a while. And now I think the, you know, the, the artists are you know, like the real artworks coming back and kind of taking that attention back a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I, I'm with you. Like, I think there'll be ebbs and flows with it for sure. The the part I struggle a little bit in, you can see it like in the video here, you can probably see the consternation on my face because like part of it is, I don't know, I struggle sometimes with calling it art. Right. And I say that because the way that I define art is for, you know, is only for me, but like the, the way that I approach it is there are components missing in the AI process. Right. Like if I think art is like, you guys have maybe heard me say this in the, the show we did before, like there's like different states of art mm-hmm. where there's the, you know, the, the first state of art is like the person sitting down to actually make it like the, the art is a verb, like the craft part. Right. And there's the part where somebody sees it um, or the, um, the thing that's made basically, that's like the evidence that's like art is a noun, like the object, whether it's a JPEG mm. or a sculpture. And then the third state is when somebody looks at that piece of art and what happens in their mind, right? Like the, in the theater of their mind, what feelings, you know, are evoked, what, what things that can't be put into words happens inside somebody when they see a piece of artwork that they respond to, what it conjures. AI art does all of those things, right? And for all intents and purposes, the second state and third state are exactly the same as artwork that was created by somebody, you know, by hand, right? Like mm. the, the fact that an object exists and that can be appreciated and evokes an emotion to somebody are just as rich of experiences with AI art as with traditional art. But that creation process is the thing that's really differentiated. And while there is a craft to writing prompts, you know, to feed these things, and there is a craft to merging images together, almost like a a collage using these tools, the amount of, see, I don't mean to trivialize those things either. It's just, that's not where I've experienced art happening for myself. And so I struggle with defining those things as like, just because not again it sounds demeaning it's not meant to but like the difference between writing a recipe to make a great cake is different than collecting the eggs grinding the flour you know like setting up the mixer knowing how your stove works to like you know make the adjustments to to make a great cake and so i'm splitting hairs but to me at least i i can't call something that i make with ai i can't call this raw output out or art there has to be more to it. Other people, that's different. They'll take an output right from mid-journey, say, here's art. Um, mm. And that's art for them. But that's for some folks, that's just not enough. Makes complete sense. I don't. I, I didn't find that as splitting hairs at all because that's kind of mm. the same way that I view it. Kind of interesting to me because now that we're having this conversation, it's like, in theory, you could replace what I do for a living with AI, really. I mean, you could program a machine to say all the right things and do all the say everything and give all the right advice or whatever, you know, but what's really like, what's really missing there is the expression of like the human element and like the connection that you have with like the person that's sitting across from you. Like, you know, I could, 
you could design a perfect therapist online, I'm sure, or you go to a website and just be like, well, blah, 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 you know what I mean? And so it feels like to me that art's very much the same way that, you know, the fact that you sat down and put your, your blood, sweat right. and tears into making a beautiful art piece, you know what I mean? Versus just the idea of it was created in three seconds, even, which, I mean, I've seen cool AI art, like not to take anything, you know what I mean? Not to be, but yeah, you know, cool AI art, right. I've seen it, but, but I think that maybe that maybe the human element is the thing that's not getting translated very well. Right. And I, I think it goes back to like, I I was, Oh God, I wish I could reference back to the podcast that I was listening to about it. The human element, right? Like what's the difference between what AI can come up with and what humans can come up with? Well, that goes back to a four letter word called an idea, right? Like computers cannot have ideas, they're taking, you know, if I typed in St. Louis Cardinals 2024 championship trophy presentation picture, it has to reference back to things that have happened before and merge them. It cannot come up with a new idea for that. And that's that's where no, the neither can you, though. comes in. Right. No, well, right. Hold on, man. I don't, well, I don't but think what? <laughs> well, they're really tricky now. Well, Wait, you see I, what? You, well, yeah, I, I, you know, maybe that wasn't the best, you know, the no, best. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Example. It, it, it has to reference back. But like, you know, Brian, you could be asleep one day and you can wake up and go, whoa, what? Where did this idea come from? Right. Like ideas are almost like aliens, kind of like where where do we get them? How do we get them? You can come up with something new that's never happened before. And I don't I don't know that a computer could really do that. Hmm. I don't know. There's so much there. I think they can. <laughs> and I say that because I don't think we can. How do I say this? I don't think that we can. I don't think we necessarily come up with new ideas. Um, I think we're kind of channels for ideas to go back to that, like that, that glass thing we were talking about a minute ago, like your human experience kind of polishes this lens through mm -hmm. which you look at life. And Tim, to your point, like the thing that's missing in AI art sometimes could be that human thing. And it's the the life experiences that you have as a person that shapes your view of the world as seen through this glass that you're polishing through experience, right? More experience you have, the clearer it becomes, if you will, the finer the 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 focus and the, the view. So like without that, that's sometimes maybe what's missing in AI art, though one could argue the curation is that aspect of it. But then Danny, to kind of uh, to kind of your point that lens through which we're looking at is really just um, just that like ideas are coming through us and some pass through to make it to the other side and some bounce off depending on how uh, clear our glasses, if you will. And right, so right. I sometimes think that ideas, we don't have ideas, ideas have us and are kind of, they're going to, they're going to transmit through you, whether if you're able to transmit it or not. Um, and I say this because, you know, that phrase, an idea whose time has come, you know, when you look across the industry and like four people are kind of doing the same thing, independent one another, and they didn't know they were doing it. It's because that right. idea was going to happen one way or another. And these people were open and present enough to be able to start to make that happen. And whoever's the clearest and most able to make that idea survive is the one that's going to do it. And that's how an idea comes into the world is, is through us, not because of us 
Yeah, that that makes perfect sense. That and you know, my example was probably not the best, but that that brought out that brought out your creative art way of thinking about it. So it pushed the idea forward, Danny. Oh, see, <laughs> yeah, we channeled an idea, I think, right? Yeah, I think go. it was. I think it was a great example. I just maybe disagree with the premise that we have original ideas. Like I think we're all mm-hmm. using. Like when I sit and draw, like. I haven't drawn a skull with horns in a long time. Sitting down talking to you guys, thinking about death bats, just, you know, look, I can see myself with my long hair and tattoos of you I don't get to see very often, really. Like, and I see the Avenged Seven whole posters in the background. So I'm naturally drawing with skull and with horns and shit. Uh, I'm referencing my environment and being in the moment, which means that moment's coming through in what I'm doing right here. You know, sorry, I'm getting really trippy now. Coffee's kicking in. Oh no, no, no it's that, fine, dude. This this is this is why this is why we love doing this. So yeah. this is it's it's a lot of the reason why I was super excited to have you on, Brian, because every time I talk to you, it like kind of beats up my brain. It's good though. It challenges me to see things through like a different perspective that I'm not used to. Mm. It's kind of like that conversation when I, when you and Sin were on the Twitter spaces and just talking to each other. It was like two brilliant art minds going at each other and i was just kind of sat back and was blown away i'm like dude i don't even yeah we had a million people want like requesting to speak and all that and we're just like deny deny let them talk yeah. let them talk, <laughs> let them talk so. well if you think of that just to go back to that corporate job kind of stuff like i would have to spend so much time articulating ideas to clients so that they would invest millions of dollars in the company which i work for right and I had to be, um, I had to really believe what I was telling people and I had to understand things that I wasn't necessarily the, you know, the best equipped to understand. I'm not saying that made me smarter, but it, it definitely helped me articulate ideas that were once abstract to me, right? Like I had to, I had to be able to talk to them to the point that they convinced somebody and in the process, I kind of convinced myself of some of the things. So you take that same energy and turn it inwards and look at your own thoughts and your own beliefs and your own values. And how do you articulate those things? And I don't think oftentimes society, culture, the way we exist today allows for that space to happen for people. You're too busy thinking about X, Y, Z, them, people over there, my job, my family. You don't, you're not given the time, space, and capacity to, to, to look in and find what you really find valuable or to actually sit and think about some of the stuff that like these topics we're talking about here, AI, you know, you're, 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 you're forced to make a decision about it because of the, what's happening on social media, what other people are saying, don't think about it, just accept the most popular point of view and go, you know, like that takes a lot of energy to not do that. And I think mm-hmm. when you have the space to kind of sit and reflect on like, what does AI really mean to me? What does it mean for what I'm doing or any given topic? you know, you kind of arm yourself with the ability to talk about those things and, and be clear about it. Like that's where I think conversations like this happen. And I think everybody's should be able to have these kind of conversations. They just don't have sometimes the bandwidth to to give it the thought. Let me get back on this thought because I kind of want to hear what Brian thinks, but shadows posted, I can't remember if if it was a quote from him or if he was quoting somebody and I'm going to butcher it, but the basics was that we have as a species evolved to a certain degree where we're part of the universe so so we've become the universe able to observe itself 
That's like kind of what we are as a human. I know I'm butchering that all to hell, but no, I were, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, my, my my mind immediately goes to AI, and if it's ever a certain point where it can observe, we've created this machine that can observe the universe observing itself. I don't know, man. My brain's going crazy, but that just kind of happened in my brain. <laughs> Thought I would share. I think so. <laughs> yeah, Tim's like my cousin sucks. Uh, no, I was just a really. I, I the funny part was that you. It's a really good thought, but but it was. It's a tough thought to articulate. <laughs> I know what you're talking about, though. It's like it's like we, you know, it's like we're made of the most common like things in the universe. Our body are our body are made of the most common things in the universe, and every molecule that that we are has been in existence since the beginning of the the beginning of the universe. But as far as we know, we're the only molecules that are put together that can actually observe the universe, right? I would maybe take, I'd maybe look at it from a slightly, slightly different perspective that doesn't place humanity as the pinnacle of existence. We are blessed with the ability of cognition and and the ability to observe the you know the natural world, right? Um, and because of that, we somehow feel superior to it. It's not the case. I think like Terrence McKenna says this kind of stuff a lot. And I think he's right. People are just the planet peopling. Like we're just the planet doing its thing, the universe doing its thing. And it's all self-preservation at the end of the day. Like, um, mm -hmm. and so the planet, the planet maybe is trying to preserve itself. Every planet is. The universe is. It's, the universe is an ever-expanding kind of self-preservation thing. And so people are simply a, a film wrapped around this planet. And that film is doing things to become in a plant. Like the film is trying to get onto other planets. Like the film is trying to explore the moon, trying to go to Mars. The planet is trying to um, expand its influence, if, if you will. Mm -hmm. Expand its knowledge, expand its sense of being beyond itself. Whoa. And I think humans are like just a little nothing in that process artificial intelligence is a way for the universe is the way for whatever this planet is to preserve itself beyond a carbon-based form like us because we're going to we're going to be annihilated and so how can that knowledge that understanding um, go beyond any one of us how can it be less centralized in you how can that knowledge be decentralized into something broader mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of where my head goes so what is the universe up to? It seems <laughs> sketchy. Well, I mean, <laughs> just kidding. Just like, just like, um, much like a frog in a pond could not have contemplated Mozart. Mozart, right? Like mm -hmm. you, mm -hmm. you as a human cannot contemplate what what is being done at a, a, a you know magnitudes of understanding beyond us. Just can't. Well, my mind is officially blown. That's why I can't work in corporate jobs anymore <laughs> because it's just like, you just see through the bullshit so fast. It's like, so wait, we're, we're doing this for what reason now? I would 100% be with you. <laughs> I'd be in the meeting going, none of this stuff matters, guys. We're hurling through space. Like, yeah. <laughs> When's the last time we talked about the universe in here, you guys? <laughs> we're, we're, off, we're on this flat earth just like floating through. I mean, um, did I say that out loud? Oh, yeah. <laughs> But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter, does it? What what shape it is? You're you're talking to a guy though that had a conversation with somebody the other day. 
I can't guarantee that Andy and I see the same thing when we see red. We would just been taught to look at red and call it red, but red could look blue to Andy. Well, actually, that so not to get all therapisty sort of psychology on you, but that that's actually a proven point that that you don't that I don't see the same red that you do. But it's just kind of uh, you know not to get into a whole bunch of back end stuff. But that but you're right though, like bro, aren't that idea makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. Yeah, but aren't you slightly colorblind? And I am pretty colorblind too, by the way. (laughs) Well, not like I mean, I'm like I can see red, you guys, but sometimes when Brown's there, I'm like, wait a second. So all you see is like fifty shades of gray. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's all I see. But it's not the fun kind of fifty shades of gray. It's the kind of (laughs) oh no, no. I I see color pretty well, but actually, I never really. I will say, I never. It never dawned on me that I was colorblind until Andy pointed it out to me one day. Really? And we were. Yeah, we. I was like to like get tested or something. Like, did you do like a? a Well, I was a teenager. I mean, so I was a teenager, and 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 I was. (laughs) This sounds really. This is really dumb, but I was. I was making a. Create a create a team on Madden, you know. Shout out, yeah. It's in the game. It's in the game, but I, I was. It's in the game, but I was making a create a team on Madden, and I made our high school color like because Andy and I were really big into football when we were high schoolers, and so I made like our uniform and stuff like that. And the helmet was brown, not red. Like like our helmets were red in real life, but but I'd made the helmet, and it looked just like. I was like, oh, it's a perfect. And Andy walked in and I said, dude, look, it's our uniforms. And he's like, bro, that helmet's brown. I think you're colorblind. You don't remember this, Andy? I yeah. don't. No, I you do walked in and you're like, bro, that. That, that helmet's brown. And I was like, no, it's not. Like thinking to myself, okay, all right, you know, whatever. And then later on down the road, I, I had to do one of those colorblind tests and I failed all of them. Like I like the dots, you know, and I failed all of them, so. It's really mind mind expanding experience that cousins can have like that. That's what family's for. That's what family. Yeah, that's right. pointing out your uh, parent disability. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting for the check on that one. So, well, awesome. We've uh, we've eclipsed an hour and seventeen minutes now. Honestly, Brian, you're yeah. The the problem is is that we could talk to you all day, all That's, day, uh, all day. Like this would be like yeah. I wish I could just re- yeah. Bro, if you would be down, I would love to do it again because there was a million things I want to talk about with you too that I didn't even get to. I have a bunch of bullet yeah. points I have here, and I think I hit two. <laughs> yeah, so I'm down for whenever. Yeah, if we could do it again. Awesome. That would be awesome. that would be awesome. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, guys. Uh, uh, I really do. It's always good to, to chat with you guys. And the community through which we met each other uh, is just amazing. And it, there's some amazing people in it. And it's good to see you guys taking everything you've learned inside of that and, and expanding it and scaling it and bringing in more people. Because I think at the end of the day, that's just going to funnel more people into that community, too. So keep up the great work. And I'm happy to be part of uh, you guys finding success. Hey, thanks, Brian, for coming on the show. That was awesome. You're awesome. If y'all aren't following Brian, check out his links in the show notes. Um, and also, I got to do this because these slackers uh, never do it. But uh, follow and like and subscribe to the pages. You know how to use the Internet. You do it. Okay? Till next time, this is the Sultans of Slack. Producer Jake out. Producer Jake out.